become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, where we are making old school young again. I'm your host and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and Happy New Year, everyone. It is 2024, and uh, I gotta say, I'm very excited for what 2024 has in store for Rolling Bones, uh, for myself as a, uh, a now officially published RPG designer, and uh, you know, th- there's so much coming up this year that I'm unbelievably excited for. Uh, and I, I can't wait to to tell you guys more about some of the stuff that I have in store for y'all. Um, and tonight we're going to be joined by uh, John McGowan. We're going to be talking about his book, The Living Campaign, discussing that concept of a living campaign, as well as uh, just talking in general about running an RPG campaign, a lot of emphasis on faction play. Um, however, before we get started, uh, I am going to... Um, Kind of preface this news uh, and, and let you guys know this this was a real uh, tragedy that that occurred here, um, and and this might be something that hits a little close to home for uh, some of you out there who have who have dealt with the loss of a loved one in uh, this manner. Um, however, I, I found out today, shortly before we started the show, uh, that a former guest and uh, a friend of mine, uh, James Shields. Uh, lost his son. And um, I I don't want to begin on a downer like this, but this is too important not to discuss. Um, There's a campaign that was started by uh, some of the founders of North Texas RPG Convention. And um, since Roland Bones is now monetized, uh, I have Super Chats enabled, I have Super Thanks enabled, uh, that's one of the big things that's that's come up in 2024. Um, for the duration of this campaign, as long as it's up, and especially starting tonight, all Super Chat money is going towards the campaign for Ben Shields Memorial. So if you are able to give, I understand the holidays just happened, but if you are able to give all Super Chat money, the gross of all Super Chat money, so before Google takes its percentage, we'll go to this campaign. So with that in mind, um, keep, keep James and his family in your prayers. And, um, if you are able to give directly to this campaign, do so. If you want to give via super chat, again, all of that money, 100% of the gross will go towards this campaign while it's up. So I just wanted to make, make you guys aware of that and, uh, I know several of you out there are are prayer warriors, and I, I hope that you will keep James and his family in your prayers. Uh, so with with that out of the way, I uh, want to remind everyone to like, share, and subscribe if you enjoy this content. 
Um, I want to remind everyone that you can find me on various uh, social media platforms. Uh, X and Instagram is Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. YouTube is Rolling Bones. Twitch is twitch.tv slash Rolling Bones Ryan. And Substack is rollingbones.substack.com. Uh, also want to let everyone know uh, the the part about me being uh, officially published as a, uh, a role-playing game designer. That is not kayfabe. That is not a joke. Uh, that game is very real. I will I will show it to you right now. Um, my first adventure, O Night Divine, is going to be available on Drive-Thru RPG. It'll be pay what you want because this was supposed to be a Christmas adventure. It's coming out after Christmas. Um, it'll be pay what you want on drive-through RPG. Uh, but if you message me, if you DM me on, on Twitter, if you message me on any, uh, you know, social media platforms that, that you follow me on, uh, or if you, you know, send me a message on gilded or something like that, you send me an email, I will send you a PDF for free. So, uh, Oh night divine is my Christmas adventure. My first foray into my setting of night Haven. Uh, the artwork was done by my good friend, the wonky, uh, I wrote the adventure. So I hope you guys will check this out again. If you DM me, uh, right now, or, you know, within the next couple days, I will send you this PDF for free. Otherwise it's going up as pay it. You pay what you want on drive through RPG. So, uh, with uh, with that out of the way, I want to go ahead and introduce our guest tonight. Uh, we've been mutuals on Twitter for a while. Uh, he has a book coming out called The Living Campaign. It will be available soon. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John N. McGowan. John, welcome to Rolling Bones. Well, thank you for having me, Ryan. Absolutely. And, and thank you for putting up with kind of an overlong uh, shilling session there. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's for a good cause. So, absolutely. Cool. So, um, John, I, we we have to start this off right. We have to start this off the way that every Rolling Bones interview starts off. There's one burning question that I have to ask everyone who comes through these doors because we do this as a labor of love. There's <laughs> not a lot of money to be made in role playing games, so we we do this out of our love for the game and that love comes from fond memories so if you had to pick a fondest rpg memory what would that be uh pretty easy my f uh my fondest one is actually my first one that's the thing that got me hooked and i did a little thread about it a while back but uh just to kind of recount it here um so like my first rpg uh my first time even playing dungeons and dragons was like sophomore year of high school or something like that and i got invited to uh a friend's house and we were and he basically like kind of just pulled the campaign out of his butt and i was told you know like you can do whatever you want and sure enough like you know it, it was kind of a disaster but it was basically like involved like a floating city like over the desert sands we were just, like trying to steal a ship you know none of the players really got along and we ended up sort of uh mutinying against one of the other uh, one of the other players and crashing the ship into the desert sands. And, uh, you know, some people left mad and I was like, this game, there's something special about this game is when I walked out of that, that session, <laughs> the campaign at like pretty much ended session one. We never really came back to it, but, uh, I was like, no, no, no. I, I went out and I, I bought D and D like, a the, the it was fourth edition at the time, and, you know, we played a few sessions of that and then we went to three, five, uh, cause we had a, a friend that was kind of taught us through that. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, here I am. That's so I, I think about it all the time. It was kind of chasing that feeling of like being able to do whatever I want is kind of what I've been what I've been after all these years. So 
Hmm. Gotcha. So the the book that we're talking about tonight, once again, to remind everyone, is called The Living Campaign. Um, now, this is a term that a lot of people have thrown around recently. It's it's really kind of entered the lexicon of role playing again, uh, a, a lot through kind of bro SR circles. But you're starting to see people even beyond the bro SR talk about these, um, you know, these ideas. So if you had to define the concept of the living campaign, how would you do that? A living campaign is Gygax describes kind of like in the DMG, you know, the campaign basically has to get started, but once it does, it sort of like takes on a life of its own. I mean, I think he literally says life of its own. Um, so like a living campaign would be one, like it's, it's a campaign that's alive. It's sort of uh, self-creating to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, and like, so the dungeon master sort of, or the game master kind of really starts to fall into the role of referee. You know, he's not digging the river. The, like at this point, the river is starting to carve out the land for itself and he's sort of directing it uh, as far as like, uh, in the sense of like kind of adjudicating like player interaction with it you know, uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's like the players are basically starting to drive everything and uh, the content is beginning to generate itself. That is what a living campaign would be to me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, what inspired you to write this book and to, to kind of put your ideas out there about what a living campaign is? We, we're starting to see this rise in folks like you and folks like me putting out books and not even RPG books, like actual book books for for lack of a you know more accurate term mm -hmm. about role-playing concepts i mean like i've got i've got jeffro's book right here the you know how to win at D. &D. we're seeing yeah. a lot of stuff like this recently mm -hmm. what inspired you to kind of enter this fray um what inspired me i mean it was a few things so like originally what kind of got me swimming in these circles was uh uh john mollison's youtube series mm -hmm. um and like i'm a little embarrassed to say i i found him uh some like kind of partially through questing beast uh i know that's a little bit of a you know <laughs> he's not exactly popular in these circles but uh, i had never heard of one at one time kind of before the algo kind of picked him up and put him in my feed and he kind of only really touched on it. Like it was like, cause it was a curious thing. Like he didn't really like believe in it. Um, mm -hmm. But I could tell kind of like, even from what little he touched on it. Cause I don't know, there's something here. And I kind of chased that thread, which is where I ended up kind of in, in the, uh, with like bro SR stuff. Um, kind of found first, uh, you know, joy of war gaming and then kind of expanded from there. Um, anyway. Um, so my, um, why did I want to, chase it well i i first off i just needed mass i just needed mass combat like that's really all i was chasing at first mm -hmm. and it's kind of funny mass combat is very very difficult to you know i had the bright idea i was just going to use like war games you know i was like oh, i'll just plug a war game you know into pathfinder or whatever uh you know and we'll, we'll just that'll be fine and it turned out like you know you it, there's a little bit more to it than that yeah. um and uh you know, and then sure enough, like kind of stumbled on one to one, and it—I mean, the problem basically solved itself after that. Um, but I got to kind of experiment with those. I have a, I have a, a 
maybe about a, I have two games that I run. I have maybe about 10 to, you know, 12 players at a time um, between the two of them. So, you know, between like four and one, six and the other. And, um, you know, they were very, uh, like they were very patient and willing to kind of try this stuff out while I, I learned it. Um, mm. This was probably about like pretty, pretty early on. It was like late, probably late 2020, early 2021 uh or no it wouldn't have been 2020 it would have been like maybe midway through 2021 is when i started picking it up mm. so um yeah is there uh did i answer your question or is there something that you want me to drill down on something else yeah i mean like that <clears throat> that that really um i i think mass combat really gets a lot of people to the dance as far mm. as digging into these ideas and kind of digging into the the old school uh, ideas of, of role playing and and actually reading not just AD and D first edition, but even going back into chain mail, going back into uh, OD and D, yeah. uh, and and I applaud you for realizing at first that you needed full wargaming rules to you know run mass combat because you could have mm -hmm. done what I did, which is try to abstract away the role play or not the, the role play, the war gaming aspect, try mm -hmm. to, you know, remove it from having to run a full war game table. Um, and, and like try to run essentially mass combat, like a session of an RPG, which is a terrible idea. And I don't recommend that to anyone. Uh, like just don't even try it. Don't, don't abstract away from, actually running mass combat properly uh so so hats off to you for realizing that uh you, you certainly did better than i did in that regard can i can i bolster your point for a second go for it um so the reason i was so desperate to find mass combat was because i did exactly that because <laughs> <laughs> i was like no, no no like people people have a way of kind of looking at a problem and being just like throwing their hands up in the air and being like it can't be solved and basically, I just kind of like, I had a few, I had a, 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 I've attempted mass combat a few times, and I always try to sort of, you know, abstract out, like you said. And I try it like a different time, a different way, you know, maybe like I would try to do it like maybe like one year, and then maybe it would come up again, and I have to figure out a way to do it. And uh, yeah, no, no, no. Um, I, I totally 100% agree. It's like, that's not, that is not the way to do it. And I was just, I just woke up you know, some point in 2021, it was like, we're going to fix this problem. And mass combat's going to be fun. I'm going to make mass combat fun for my, my players. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to draw, I'm going to draw some flack again for, for doing this. Cause last time I, I brought this guy up, there was a whole uh, shit storm here on, in the comments, but uh, it was professor dungeon master that got me thinking I could abstract away mass combat. Mm. And, using his his video on mass combat where essentially entire battles are resolved by like two dice rolls which is absolutely ridiculous and yeah. <laughs> going back and watching that video i was like why did i ever think this would work yeah you're like once you're in it you're like you do it and then you just kind of like come up for air and you're like yeah i don't know back to the drawing board yeah. <laughs> i uh you know, I was actually chainmail is where I kind of was falling on. I was like, we're going to figure out how to put chainmail in this game, you know, and uh, that's what I mean. 
Joy Wargaming, you know, has like a whole series on like how to play chainmail. And then I was like, what's this other stuff? And mm. scaling up, scaling up is basically the only really is the easiest best way to do it uh, yeah. for a lot of for a lot of reasons. Um, and it, it it's and pretty much any sort of derivative D twenty system will will work with that. Mm. So, yeah. um, I'm um, you know, scaling up is one of those things where like I appreciate it because it is the same game the players are already familiar with. You are not saddling them with new systems. You're not saddling them with like kind of, you know, uh, Pathfinder had this really egregious uh, like mass combat system that was basically just sort of like a worse mini game inside of a game, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So scaling up is basically like, do you understand like how to run your character? Well, now you understand how to run 10 characters. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and this is something um, for all the all the flack that I've been giving Matt Colville recently, and and there will be more on that at the end of the stream. Uh, just stay tuned for that. He he is correct in his assessment of D and D in that it was originally designed for squad combat and then scaled down. That that's correct because you go from how do you control a unit, like how do you control essentially a, a battalion to how do you control one individual unit? And it's the same mechanic, just with the scale altered. He's correct mm -hmm. about that assessment. And so when yeah. you when you understand that and you're able to build back up to the uh, the army level, mm -hmm. that that's really kind of, again, getting all the way back to the original D&D, &D, like, not D&D, D&D, but the DNA of D&D. &D. When you go all the way back to the, the very beginnings, the infancy of D&D, that's what you're seeing is this desire to have a system that scales all the way up to armies and all the way down to individual units. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, other people have said it better, but you know, the story, this, you know, the story of humanity is the story of war. So you can't really like, you can't get away from it. It's like, it's eventually going to, it's going to come like come up, you know, like there are just some players that are just drawn to it. Yep. Now, I'll turn to chat here for just a second. Uh, Slicarius kind of makes the, the point that I was getting at early on here. Um, most people's starting point is it would be really cool to have a giant war in my game. Like, I, I think everyone has had that desire at some point. Like, hey, wouldn't this D&D session be awesome if it was like the D-Day scene in Saving Private Ryan? That That is a dream that so many dungeon masters have, and it's a dream that so many give up on because they're not willing to take it to its logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. I, um, you know, and it's like the, the disappointment in that player's face, you know, and it's basically like, oh, like, you know, it was, uh, you, you get the checkpoint and then the, like the next part of the battle happens, you know, and it's just people just kind of, it's just mannequins kind of fighting in the background. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's all pretend, but you know, some pretend is a little more effective than other pretends. So, yeah. And then uh, Harmony Ginger here in chat saying, hello, gentlemen. Uh, Harmony Ginger, I'm, I'm highlighting this because one, Harmony, reach out to me. I would love to have you on the show sometime. I know you have a Tuesday gig already, but you know, reach out and we'll, we'll work something out. Uh, but also Harmony is chatting from X. And I forgot to mention this at the top of the show because we had more important things to discuss. We are now live on X as well as uh, YouTube and Twitch. So... Those of you who prefer to watch that way, uh, it's an option for you now. 
And then uh, last comment before we kind of get back to some of these questions that I have for you. Uh, Chance Dale here in chat. Chain mail is great for mass combat. You know that already. Um, to make a, a little bit of a confession here for all of you in, in chat, all of you watching, and uh, and to you, John, as well, I have actually never played Chainmail, and it's my goal in 2024 to play Chainmail at some point. Hmm. I, I've read it. I've talked a lot about the the benefits of Chainmail. I have not actually played it, and so that's something that I really want to address in, in this calendar year, is to actually play a mass battle in Chainmail. Yeah, we, I don't have a lot of uh, options for playing with anybody, so I've done, I've fiddled with uh, a little bit of like solo stuff, kind of like playing with that, but nothing, nothing serious. So I get it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, apparently it's on Tabletop Simulator. So oh. that's, huh. that's not actually Chance. I, I remember Chance. I remember you and and some of your friends talking about that in. Uh, um, at North Texas last year. So I, I need to need to hit up chance about that. Um, and Harmony, don't sell yourself short. You you are that interesting. We'll we'll work something out. So to to get back to um, to get back to the conversation at hand here. Uh, one of the things that kind of brought us together when I was regularly just hammering out threads on Twitter about mm -hmm. role playing uh, you and I kind of connected over this idea of faction play, which mm -hmm. is essential to the idea that you have brought up of this living campaign. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about some of your interactions with faction play and again, kind of how you discovered this essential aspect of gaming. Uh, well, I had a player. Um, they cleared a dungeon um, and it was a... You know, it was a, a castle ruin. Um, and, uh, you know, he like at that point, basically, he cleared the land and was like, oh, I think I'd like to try to claim it. And I couldn't think of a reason why not, basically, like his, his you know, his character was sort of well known throughout, like it made sense, like with the kind of the patron at that point. Um, <clears throat> and then basically, you know, he started running a demen. And from that, you know, the... Uh, uh like quests would kind of like spiderweb out naturally um you know it, like whenever i'd roll maybe on like the wandering monster chart to see like what wandered in the hex that that week or whatever um you know or like he'd go exploring and find a dungeon like on his lands or whatever you know he could like kind of subcontract that stuff out and then meanwhile like his character is dealing with um sort of like the neighbors um, cause turn like he ended up finding like two, uh, gold veins that he kind of was able to turn into mines. So like, yeah, he was getting a lot of gold, but he, <laughs> he's also kind of like besieged by like everybody around him who wanted that like prime real estate. Um, and it sort of kind of wrote itself. Like he was, you know, he was, he was richer than his neighbors and that's why they all hated him. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's a compelling way to kind of run a game. Cause you know, you have, uh, he was kind of able to, you know, he was able to be the quest giver. It took a lot of load off my shoulders. Yeah. Uh, and he was having, he was having a great time. Um, mm. as his wife games with us, you know, and, uh, she would text me and be like, you know, you really need to stop, uh, <laughs> sending him <laughs> the event stuff. Cause it's late. We got to go to bed and he's pacing around the bedroom. 
So, you know, I'm like, all right, that means I'm doing my job if I'm ruining your sleep schedule. So, <laughs> yeah, what one of the often overlooked dangers of uh, of role playing the correct way is that when your character becomes a king, you have to resist the urge to act like a king in real life. <laughs> yeah, just lose sleep forever. Yeah, no, for real. <laughs> Don't you know that I'm the king? The point of art is to feel things, okay? So yeah. <laughs> that's that's that immersion, those those yeah. moments of of hyper reality that uh, that Black Lodge Games was talking about when when they were on here, um, when when the game is taking away from your sleep. At that point, you are fully immersed in your role mm-hmm. as king of this imaginary realm. Yeah, and, and for my part, I was just kind of like, oh, start to kind of, you know, wrap it up for the night. I just like fire them off and go to bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I'm I'm safe in my lofty DMs tower. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it, was, it was fun. But I mean, like faction play sort of really, you know, it enhanced the game for him in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, because like his it got to the point where the problems that his character the problems that his character had to deal with were beyond his character's reach. It was beyond it was beyond the reach of his axe, you know? Yeah. Um, and so now it's like, it's diplomacy. It's, it's intrigue. Like the game has, the game has like got developed layers at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like, you know, I sat down and was like, I planned all that out. It just sort of like, sort of, you know, riffed into that eventually. Like I had the land, I knew what the hex looked like, and that was pretty much all I needed. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing um, that that people really underestimate about faction play. The, there's this idea that you're, and and a lot of people come to this because they come to the the game through critical role, or even just they come through people who are adjacent to critical role, or fans of it, or even just you know fans of fantasy fiction they come to D expecting the campaign is going to have a plot mm. but what they don't realize is that you don't actually have to set up a plot for your players all you have to do is give them a region give them a map with some kind of you know key landmarks or even discover a map through random roles using the tools given to you by stuff like the AD&D DM's guide mm-hmm. and populate it with people who all they really want at the end of the day is wealth, power, and influence. All of those things are yeah. finite. There's not infinite power to be drawn from this region. Only really one person can rule the region. Only one person can have the majority of the wealth only one person can be the most influential. The plot comes from the interaction of these different factions who all want the same thing, control. Because at the end of the day, when you look at history, what are people fighting over? Right. Power. That's like that's what they want. And so you throw your players into this region where there is a struggle for power, a struggle for control over all of the things that a ruler would want. And now they have to either pick sides or become their own side and interact with these different warring factions, whether it's a hot war or a cold war. And from their interactions with those factions, you know, doing this thing for one faction is going to have a reaction from this other faction. 
it very naturally evolves out of just interacting with these people on this map. This emergent story come comes into into view. So the plot's not something you set up. The plot is something that happens over time. Mm-hmm. There's a, a really great book uh, that I recommend for really for anybody that's sort of interested in like how this sort of plays out in real life. Um, and it's called Life in a Medieval Family, I believe. Um, and it's about the 16th century Paston family, which are basically minor nobles um, and in real life. Uh, and uh, they inherited, you know, they're, they're like the kind of the patriarch was like kind of friends with the richest man in England. Um, and that he inherited lands and rents that was sort of beyond his ability to hold um, from his from his neighbors. And, you know, this whole kind of drama is uh, preserved in letters between the family members to each other. And the book sort of compiles these uh, kind of the events of their lives generationally. And some of the things they got up to uh, is just is just really, really incredible. Um, and you can kind of see uh, kind of you set up those you set so those seeds and like the life of the past ends will start kind of like happening to the players sort of like on its own. Yep. Yeah. And, and kind of all throughout medieval history, you can see these different opportunities that families would have to gain prestige for themselves. So like, let's take a look at the crusades. For example, the Pope declares a crusade mm-hmm. and Yes, there are some people who are just that devout. They are going to go retake the Holy Land because, you know, they believe very strongly in Catholicism. They believe in the Pope. Like, they they are doing it for purely religious reasons. However, a majority of the people who are going out on these crusades are doing so because coming back with glories and spoils of war will raise their status. Mm -hmm. And so... Like this is really just the primary motivating factor that you see throughout history is elevating the status of your group. And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, why wouldn't you include that in role playing? It's the it's the easiest motivation for anyone to understand. It's it's not abstract at all. Everyone should get that at some level. Yeah, I mean, like players you know, like the players are really not that discerning because they sort of provide the meaning to themselves. Like, obviously, you know, if you send them out, like, here's a room, like there is a, there is a way, you know, to run a session to, to, to like kind of facilitate play. Like it's a specific play style to basically kind of go through the dungeon and kind of facilitate that tension. Um, but as for like, Oh, do I need to have like this, like kind of, uh, you know, Charlie Day web of kind of like intrigues on the wall. And, you know, no, I don't, I don't, I, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Like if you do that, um, kind of the most important thing, basically the whole point of my book and like really the thing I was trying to sort of like impart to the reader is like coordination and replicability is kind of like the quality. Um, yeah. You're, you're basically trying to get maximize your output with uh, and minimize your input to kind of like better facilitate so you so as not to burn out. Yeah. You know, one hour of work should get you three hours of play, you know. Mm. Yeah, and, not the other and way around. I I I guess what I'm kind of extrapolating from this is the goal isn't to have your your Charlie Day conspiracy board as the GM, but to make the players kind of have their own Charlie Day conspiracy board 
that they are keeping track of because they've become just that invested in the world and feel the need to, you know, take that level of uh, responsibility for tracking their own actions and the actions of their rivals. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's getting uh, like, that that is a hundred percent the case. Um, I have a, a player with another, again, independent, like in the other group, um, he kind of decided that he was going to uh, tame a wilderness land and like he stole, basically stole a mage tower. Um, and he's, you know, and some of his other characters and with the, like some of his kind of sub characters with the other group members uh, released a demon Lord kind of mm-hmm. in exchange for their lives. And uh, so now like, he's like, great. I think I just killed my major, my main character. Like in his mind, it's the main character. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and he might have, I have no idea. Like, he just kind of thwarted an assassination attempt in his bedchambers, like, last night at some point, like, over Discord. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he's, like, uh, yeah, I tell you right now, like, he's basically kind of got, like, he's, like, hiring mercenaries. He's, like, basically desperately panning for, like, any kind of mineral in the, in the, in the river. Like, he's trying to get, like, as much funds for his war chest as he possibly can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's pretty much anybody who's not, like, his team and he's, like, completely paranoid of. yeah now there's this idea that kind of floats around on on twitter whenever you you know start these arguments about this is the way the game should be played a lot of people seem to think that by the time you get your castle and fill it with all of your treasure essentially the game is over and so Mm. they want to either prolong that as long as they possibly can or Uh, just outright ignore it. Um, And I've talked about this a lot with James Streisand on the show, but people don't seem to realize that once you get that level of status, once you have your keep and you have your, you know, land and title, now the challenge is you have to keep it. Mm -hmm. So I, what are your thoughts on this, this idea that people get in their heads that, oh, by the time I'm, you know, at the, the king stage of the axe progression, the game's over at that point. You know, how, how do you combat this with uh, kind of your philosophies? Well, I mean, it's kind of mimetic at this point is sort of, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's self-fulfilling. Like they don't like, it's like, what is it? Like, they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. Yeah. So, like, you know, because I, you know, if you asked me five years ago, like, oh, is it pot? Like, what do you do after the keep? I tell you, I don't know. Like, the game's over. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, because like that's all I had. You know, um, and that's why, I like, kind of reading the DMG and the, the DMG for its part, as brilliant as it is, like, it does. Like, if you're not kind of, if you're so used to sort of like the methodical kind of rule book that like the game will kind of later become you sort of bounce off the pros yeah. um if you if you're not really sort of trying to wring out the wisdom of it you know mm. um so like what do i try to tell them basically like my goal is to sort of distill the wisdom of the like basically kind of other people in these circles and sort of the dmg into sort of like a blanket set of assumptions mm. um, that you sort of can overlay over, you know, the rule sets as you need to overlay it, you know? So like to say like, um, uh, 
<sighs> like, you know, like guy guys kind of goes into kind of excruciating detail on like certain things. Like I would say, like, you know, I boil it down to like certain pillars, like, you know, mass combat being a pillar, uh, the player, the player stronghold is a pillar, you know, like the, you're, you're, you're trying, those are the things that are sort of going to hold up your game into the end game. So that like when you, when that player sort of achieves his castle at his keep and he gets his treasure, like you can, the game can continue. They can enjoy those things or like really start to resent them. Like, <laughs> you know, like some of those, like, like my, like my poor Lord player, you know, with his two gold mines is basically like, you know, kind of always nervous about people just coming in and just taking his stuff, like kicking his door down. And, you know, so it got to the point where he's like, I kind of want to let his character go. Cause like, man, oh man, you know, it's like, yeah, I have all the wealth I can desire, but like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to Oberyn. <laughs> you know, it's like the stress of it is like too much. You want to like let it go for a while, you know. Uh, but yeah, so it can kind of like turn into that, like depending like on on what it is. I don't know. Does that make sense? Like I'm rambling a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So ultimately, like the idea here is. You know, I. Yes, at the beginning, a lot of times a GM will be running kind of the opposition to the players. But at a certain point, the players are kind of running the game themselves. And, and you know, we, we've heard people talk about this a lot. Jeffro talks about this all the time. Uh, Mr. Wargaming, John Mollison talks about this. But there comes a point in the campaign where the players are now essentially creating all of the content for the campaign and you as the GM have turned into a judge more. So you're yeah. just adjudicating rules for what the players are, are trying to do with their uh, kind of domains that they now run. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. Like um, the way I kind of describe it, this is why I prefer like one-to-one -one or even just kind of like just whatever your ratio is. Like I don't particularly care having downtime outside of the session what that does, like, you know, those session notes that you spend all that time writing, you know, between sessions, like trying to get all that stuff. Well, actually, what if your players sent you your session notes mm. and then they thanked you for the privilege? Like, yeah. you know, it, it's like, how much, how much work do you really need to do? I don't know. Like you need to have, you need to be able to respond to like their suggestions, but like having them actually input the prompts, you know, like that, like that takes a, a load off your shoulders and it actually energizes them. It doesn't enervate them the way it would you basically mm -hmm. having to kind of guess <clears throat> the, the, it's a push pull. Okay. Yeah. Like you're as the GM, like if you're kind of like stopping time, you're have you're in this situation where you are uh, all of your, like all the output is coming from you and all they do is consume it. That's it. Like yeah. they have they, the input, their input is limited to three to five hours once a week, you know, maybe once every other week. And, you know, you're basically sort of like the, you know, you could be run ragged that way. You know, yeah, um, I can't, definitely. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many times, like, you know, over the years that people would be like, Oh, I want to go in this direction. I'm like, you can, we'll just have to end the session. Yeah. You know, and that sucks. That sucks for them. That sucks for me. Like, I don't feel good about that. So like, the, what the downtime basically does is like, oh, like I know what they're doing. I don't have to guess. I don't have to guess to see like, well, maybe they'll take this hook. Oh, but they, oh, they didn't take the hook. Well, all oh, right. Quantum ogre it is, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's my thoughts on that. Yeah. Now there's, you've touched on this 
problem that a lot of people have brought up over, especially recently, this idea of GM burnout. Mm. And um, this is a great way to combat GM burnout. However, uh, there, there's another objection that I want to raise, and this comes explicitly from my own table, where I have tried to implement these practices and run into uh, problems with kind of players not not getting it. Sure. At least not getting it right off the bat. And that's this idea that as much as the, uh, you know, the, the modern player has kind of put the GM as content creator and provider in their mm -hmm. minds, they've also internalized this role for themselves of consumer. They are the consumer of the content. And so when you turn the tables on them and say, look, we're going to play what you want, however you want to do it. You just have to tell me where you want to go and what you want to do. Mm. They immediately like freeze up and have no idea what to do with all this newfound control that you've just kind of laid at their feet. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been able to, so I have, all right. So group, let's say group A is my kind of IRL around the table group. Group B is the one that's online. I, the online guys I've gained with them since I was a kid. They were like, these are the people I originally started gaming with. Um, and we all, you know, they're very kind of self-motivated. So for them, I was like, here's this downtime. They went hog wild, thousands of messages. They're just going crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it was easy. They slipped right into it, you know, and then whereas you know, my group A, like they didn't really have that background. Like they kind of were sort of consuming stuff. They were sort of trained on that. Um, it was it was a bit of a struggle to kind of like get them going. And even then they're not like, you know, some of them were not super active. Um, but generally I got around that, like sort of you can kind of uh, antagonize them into action based on like, oh, well, you know, this showed up or this, like, you know, you're basically rolling on some tables. And if they want to do things that are more substantive, they're going to have to sort of make connections in the world. But a lot of the time, you know, maybe maybe they weren't, and that's fine. Because uh, the way I see it is, if I'm spending all this time to just basically, you know, let them kind of like siphon off all this stuff, like again, still not fair to them, not fair to me. Like there's, there does have to be a little give or take. If they want more of the game, they're kind of going to have to give a little more. Mm -hmm. um, but if it never really kind of progresses beyond like the beer and pretzels, like that's fine too. Like I have no problem with that. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I and again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm beating up on my players. I, you know, I, I've had this conversation offline with uh, some like friends of mine who I, I trust as kind of advisors uh, to myself as a, a DM. But there, there has been this um, kind of mindset from my players uh, that when I give them control, their, their default is, well, we don't want to screw this up. And so mm. they just kind of freeze on me. Sure. So it's it. I guess it's just kind of part of the, the never ending battle for the, the ultimate game of D and D is to get your players to kind of be on that same page with you. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean like the way I see it is like, if you know, if they were a passive player, like, you know, that that's, you know, that's, that's, I mean, it sucks because it's like maybe like you want more out of the game, right? Yeah. And like, what do you do? I mean, you can't really talk about it. It's something you kind of like you sort of learn. You have to train those muscles. Um, 
So, I mean, typically, you know, in the past, I sort of was able to kind of help train them on it with like a little sort of like a halfway between guided quest, halfway between um, sort of like the, the, the real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I, I really sort of like it, it depends on the player. Like it's like there's no there's no perfect way to run this game. Right. Yeah. So unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things you have to deal with is there's also like there there is some such thing as a player that's not right for this particular style of game. Mm-hmm. And I, th- that's a very elitist thing to say to a lot of people, but it's mm-hmm. the truth. Like some people just won't ever get it. And, you know, th- that's OK. You know, th- yeah. story games exist for a reason. I'm not saying no one should ever play a story game. I'm just saying, you know, they're, they're there for the people who can't kind of make this work. Let me, like, I guess that's a really good way to put it because there's something I thought about a lot was basically like, I don't resent the theater kid. Right. There's yeah. nothing, there's nothing to resent. Like, they need to fund too. Okay. The problem is, is that the game, as it has been imagined up to this point, has been exclusively for them for the last 15 years to 20, maybe 30 years. Right. And all we're trying to do is provide kind of an alternative method of play for people that like acting advice doesn't do much for them. Yeah. Like I, I, like I'm not an actor. Like I'm an accountant by trade, <laughs> like by by training rather. Um, yeah. And you know, so that's a little. It's like some of that. Some of like you know, uh, the yes and stuff is a little bit of a hard sell for me sometimes. But like you, you attach like some dice rolls to it, and suddenly like it clicks in my in my own head. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's like so. Really, what this is is sort of like an alternative for like kind of everybody else. You know, I I my bet is that you know. Uh, not even most players are sort of like the theater kid mentality. Like some, I think most players sort of need like alternatives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's this funny thing that happens when, when you have this discourse online, all kind of surrounding this game. Uh, I've seen this as recently as this past week. Um, some guy got into an argument with uh it started with Jeffro, but it spilled into like several other people who I'm friends with. Um, kind of just going CT off guy? about say what was it the CT guy? Yes, CT. I jumped. In, I jumped in once. I replied, and I was done. <laughs> I had no interest after that. CT, and then someone named like Eve or something like that, who I straight up today told leave and don't come back. <laughs> but yeah, I saw that. <laughs> But the, like this whole idea of uh, when we are talking about our preferred play style or we are saying this is how you are supposed to play the game. This is how the game is intended to be played. They go on and on about, you know, oh, oh, my God, why are you telling me how to have fun? What are you, the fun police? But mm. when you say, you know, this play style should exist for the people who want to play it. No, they like they don't believe that at all. It's it's rules for thee and not for me. And yeah well that's the thing like okay the thing i i appreciate about this style like it's not it's not so much that we're just basically trying to resurrect the 70s like that is not what i'm after here right okay like when i watch you know secrets of blackmore you're like you look at like the bronstein and how kind of all that evolved you know and it's like that's really helpful to know that but what i beyond that what i see is a group of friends that came together at 16 years old and they were able to create a, like a multi-million dollar franchise like yeah. those guys have those guys have careers because they took their hobby to its absolute limit 
Mm-hmm. Like that's what I see. And I think like a, a style that facilitates those deep connections, like my player, like the players that I've managed to kind of bring together over this, it's like, I have exotic animal trainers. We have like bankers, we have like, like HVAC kind of electrician type people, you know, it's like, if there's, there's pretty much any kind of like any kind of industry I, I want to try to get a, a, a part of or vice versa, we can help each other. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that is actually important. And that is what, like, that is the thing beyond anything else is what I'm trying to facilitate. Mm. So it's like, yeah, it's silly elf games, but it's like, I don't know, like, I don't know, man, like, you know, having a community versus not having a community is like, it's pretty brutal to not have friends. Yeah. And that's like, why, why does Jeffro talk about bowling alone all the time? Why, Why are we always coming back to this notion of club based play? Mm -hmm. Um, it's because we want community. Like that's ultimately what we're after. It's why I prefer. Um, it's why I prefer in-person play to online play. Uh, I'm seeking community from my fellow gamers. That's what I want at the end of the day is this sense of community, the sense of belonging to something greater than myself. And mm-hmm. I, I guess like a lot of these people don't, care about that or think they don't care about that i i don't know how to how to diagnose them other than that they're they're nuts and and i think need to find another hobby or at least call their hobby something different um yeah i mean like i don't i don't really like disagree with the sentiment like it's 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 one of those things where like the sort of like the money will sort of took over kind of fairly early on um like kind of with like kind of hasbro kind of you know consuming what was originally sort of this very niche sort of like club um you know and which like i i appreciate it being brought to like kind of a wider audience but like some of that you know they kind of saw where like they went with where their bottom line went yeah you know and that's like you know what are you gonna do like i don't know it was you know it was, it was done and settled you know 20 years before i was born or whatever mm. <laughs> but, but you know at the same time uh yeah like i i just don't um i don't know like you're saying like if you can get some of that club back you know like maybe it's like you know i i i, I love ad and i think it is probably the best like rule set for this style like maybe like i haven't really f- like fiddled with axe too much Mm-hmm. um uh adventure conquer king um but you know like i like i know uh you know cross uh crossface has done like a bunch of stuff with with 5e kind of to facilitate this sort of thing um and uh like i've run it with pathfinder first edition you know um and if i could do it with that like anybody can really do it with anything because that, yeah. that system's a, that system's a mess um i'm but <clears throat> but yeah so like that's my my point is sort of like the blanket assumptions that you're kind of going to throw over it like that's of any system like that is basically okay it's acknowledging that like ad and d there's other things now so not everybody's going to agree like i i'm trying to kind of shift the frame to okay well the style is something that needs to be seen as legitimate because that i think the style is the thing that facilitates kind of like those close friendships that will like can literally like save people's lives you know not to be like too dramatic but mm. I mean, like, I don't know, like how many, how many, like you've seen that, um, that survey where it was like a good number of people, like never had, like, don't have a friend. 
yeah <laughs> like it was like 30 percent or something like that some outrageous number you know like that's like that's a problem i don't like that so yeah. that's kind of why i decided to get involved look and and i have had I, I speak from experience when I talk about the community that comes from having like a steady gaming group. My old 5e gaming group that I that I left back in in North Carolina before I moved, uh, half of them were in my wedding party. Um, I, I get to be very close with people that I game with, even you know that that we're not, you know, we we weren't playing the game on the path as, as crafty is saying here in, in, uh, chat, but you know, this was a group of people that I had found a community with. And I I want that for everyone. I want that to be the standard of role-playing games. Even if you don't want to play the game the way that I want to, I want you to find that in your, in your gaming group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and here's the thing, like, I don't, you know, people kind of poo-poo on kind of how, you know, Jeffro kind of interacts with, with the, with the, like, with the kind of the greater community. Um, but the way I see it is like, I, I do kind of like try to, like, I, I don't see that I have any business like criticizing the fire breathers mm-hmm. um, because like, these are the people who are extremely passionate Um and it's like, yeah, maybe I wouldn't have been as like angry at this person, um, but you know, go off because like that's like those are the people who kind of like break ground and allow yeah. for people like us to kind of come in and kind of achieve some kind of synthesis. You know, Absolutely. like I don't like you. Kind of do need both. You know, unfortunately, like any sort of like human organization throughout history has had that um, those sort of like those those two dynamics and any sort of successful uh, movement. But yeah. But yeah, like it's like I don't know. Like if you know Jeffro decided that you know he was gonna like bully me for like doing Pathfinder or whatever, it's like it'd be fine. Like I wouldn't take it personally. It's like that's his thing. That's totally cool. <laughs> yeah, but and even and I think a lot of people misunderstand what happens kind of with, with the bros. Yeah. They're not they're not coming at you like they're coming at you, but they're not doing so. It, it's not like the bully pushing you up against a locker. They're trying to get you to up their game. They're they're mm-hmm. being antagonistic in the way that like a football coach would yell at you or like mm-hmm. if you ever watch Generation Kill, the way the uh, the soldiers talk to each other. That's the attitude that the bros and people like them are approaching the game with. And for, for some reason, a lot of people just I, I don't know if it's just the way like that human interaction has evolved over time or rather devolved, because I, I see this as a negative that people can't, you know, interact with each other that way anymore. But mm. it's it's this idea of iron sharpens iron. You, you're going to become sharper because you are rubbing up against something abrasive. And so you like, that's a very valuable thing to have in any hobby space. Oh yeah. Like it it actually kind of reminds me like to kind of, you know, uh, digress into kind of a a childhood story. Um, You know, in, you know, in high school, I'd be hanging out with my buddies, you know, and we're calling each other. Like we're going to, I remember specifically one time, like me and a, a buddy, like we went to the fair and he brought his like kind of new girlfriend at the time 
And we just were vicious with each other, call each other names, like just being mean and just like picking on each other. And it was just kind of like, oh, like toughen up, toughen up, you know? Yeah. And she got like really upset. Like you guys need to stop being so mean to each other. And we immediately <laughs> cl closed ranks and we're like, no, no, you need to understand how this works. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we are friends. You don't get to tell us. Like that was kind of like how it was. So it's like, it, you know, I, 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 I was like, I see them kind of like, you know, going off doing their thing. And I just, I'm immediately, you know, I'm 17 again with my buddies at the fair. So yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I, for whatever reason, I just never like taken it like to heart um, beyond kind of like, you know, trying to see the message sort of like in there. Um, and uh, yeah, but it, and plus two, like I, for whatever reason, when I encounter negativity on social media, like it does nothing. I just don't, like my heart doesn't move. Like nothing happens. Like it's like oh, okay. Like it's not real. I don't know these people. It's not real, as far as I'm concerned. You know what I'm saying? Um, and like I don't know. Like I see like a neg a negative person, and it's like it's not like I get like I don't have like my pupils dilate. I don't start sweating. I don't get like I'm just like oh okay. Well I just there's there's no conversation to be had here, and I just kind of move on. Yeah, you know, that's that's so it's just I don't know. Like I just I don't really get steamed that easily on. Uh, on on x.com yeah yeah and it, there's this meme there's this um this meme that i've seen uh float around in in kind of several different iterations but it's um it's like the way that girls talk to each other and it's like oh hey girl i you know i love that <laughs> outfit and then as soon as she walks away i hate that bitch and then <laughs> yeah. The way that guys talk to each other, and it's like, "Hey, what's up, asshole? Not much. Mm -hmm. How you doing, moron?" Yeah, yeah. As soon as the guy walks away, I take a bullet for that man. Yeah, I'd never say this to his face, but he's a great person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, right. Exactly. Like it's just it's a it's a I don't know. Maybe it's an acquired taste for some people, but like some of that, like there is sort of just like a a kind of uh, insincere politeness that has sort of permeates a lot of a lot of things uh at this point unfortunately mm -hmm. um but yeah like i i mean so i am somewhat sympathetic so like when i see people kind of get really really steamed over kind of what the bros do like i don't really i don't i don't resent that that person for kind of getting steamed over it. it's like they just like they just don't get it i don't know what to tell them you know um so but it's unfortunate but what can you do yeah yeah, I think it's just a matter of we like, you know, obviously those of us who are in the know, those of us who are like part of it, mm -hmm. um, you know, wh whether or not I technically count as a bro, I it feels like every every other day I question <laughs> whether I should actually like count as, mm -hmm. as one of those, but like those of us who are in the space and kind of comfortable with that interaction, just keep doing it. Like here, authoritative news network in chat, there is too much feminine behavior in society. And so those of us who like, you know, we're men, we should mm. feel free to interact with each other as men. And sure. like, you know, <laughs> who, who cares what other people have to say about the way that we interact with each other? You know, we like it. We're having a good time. Uh, mm -hmm. None of us would ever like, you know, I don't know, start a fist fight with each other if we encountered each other in a bar or something like that. We'd probably oh, buy each not. other drinks. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree. 100% agree. Uh, well, so as we're kind of reaching the end of our time here, is there anything else um, out of the living campaign that you want to uh, let people know about or, or let people uh, know is, is out there to look forward to once uh, this is ready for press? Uh, sure. Um, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about kind of like what the book is and like how it's yeah. structured. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so part one is two parts, uh, part uh, 150 pages. Part one is kind of describing kind of bullet pointed, like this is how you do this sort of game. Like this is how you run a living campaign. Mm -hmm. um, it does not justify itself. It doesn't really like, there's a little bit where I kind of feel like I did need to kind of explain like why this sort of should happen. Cause I don't want the person to kind of stop reading. <laughs> um, it, you, yeah. So the first part is basically sort of it's, it is instructional. It is meant to be instructional. Part two is a rhetorical defense of part one. Um, yeah. And so it follows the same, it follows the same um, kind of order of as you encountered it at the instructional stage. And it really tries to sort of like help the reader understand like, okay, like this is why I'm asking you to do this. You know, this is why I think this will work. Um, and like why these, 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 uh, these, these tools can be, can be useful. Like, if, especially if you're sort of feeling frustrated and at the end of your rope, like if you're feeling burned out, like you should try this out. Like, why not? Yeah. What do you got to lose? Um, so but yeah, you know, it was like, it's just sort of to kind of like try to make it sound in the reader's mind because they're, you know, if you're not ever encountered this stuff, you read it, you're gonna be like, why would I ever do this? This doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Um, so that's why I try to make it make sense at least. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is what I would want, want people to know kind of what the book's about. Also it's coming out, uh, January 6th as of, uh, I just confirmed it with Amazon. So Sweet. I will be posting a store page, um, whenever I get a link to do so. Gotcha. So yeah, you guys will be able to pick it up on January 6th. That is this Saturday. Um, once it's available, uh, send me the link and then mm -hmm. I will add it to the pinned comment on this video. Perfect. Okay, we'll do that. Cool. Um, yeah, I, this this book sounds awesome. I'm definitely gonna gonna pick it up uh, once it's available, uh, if nothing else, to support you. Um, you, you did send me a copy that. in advance, but I, I want to, I want to buy a copy to, to make sure that stuff like this is getting supported. So I, I'm definitely going to do that, uh, once it's available. Well, that, that is appreciated. Cool. So, um, that's pretty much it for, uh, the, the episode tonight. And there's one final question that everyone gets asked when they come on Rolling Bones uh, so I want to circle back around to that here as we uh, we close out the the video. Uh, the you know the answer to this can be as philosophical or sophomoric as you want it to be. But John, if you could put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be? Uh, Got to go with what's fresh in my mind right now, and that is any '80s pulp cover. Yeah, <laughs> they're beautiful. They're fun, you know. And mm -hmm. you know, I I want to normalize wearing loud things uh, as I go down to the grocery store. Is is there a particular one that kind of stands out to you, or a particular artist whose work kind of stands out to you? Um, Larry, Larry Elmore's stuff like has always like always really impressed me. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the like that's the name that's coming to mind right now. There's probably someone else, but yeah, I mean, I, I 
I love a classic Frazetta. I love a Boris Vallejo. There, there's lots of good stuff to to choose from, but Elmore's an excellent choice. That's one of the things. It, the the merch was always a little bit expensive, uh, mm. for my taste, and I don't know like how active it is anymore. But I do own a Death Saves hoodie. That's one of the things that oh, I cool. really appreciated about Joe Manganiello's uh kind of line of fantasy and D and D streetwear that he put out there for a while was, you know, he's, he's putting like Frank Frazetta art on hoodies and t-shirts and stuff like that for, for people to wear around. And so I've definitely been in my local grocery store wearing, uh, I, I believe it's death dealer four that I have on a hoodie. Oh, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I really would like kind of change, like, like to change my answer to Frazetta. Cause uh, I sort of blanked on the, uh, <laughs> on the <laughs> <Okay>. questions. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That, yeah, that dealer's awesome. Some of that Frazetta stuff, like it, it it's very striking. Um, Some of it's it, pretty risque. Like, it, it is risque, and it, like I was just about to say, it's a very good kind of litmus test for who's cool and who's not. Because, mm. like, I've got, um, I've got one of the Frazetta Conan pieces as my uh, desktop background on my laptop. Awesome. Um, and so like when I open it up at work, no one's commented on it. I have a very, I have a very, uh, small office. So I don't think anyone's really taken notice of it, but they're like, it's the kind of thing where in a different office where I wasn't the manager, you might not want to have this piece of art <laughs> as your laptop background. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's one of those things where you're going to get one of two reactions. You're going to get that is awesome or that is sick. And you want to <laughs> you, you want to hang out with the that is awesome people. You want to start talking to them and you want to like keep your distance from the that is sick and disgusting. Why would you ever put that in your lab? To, you want to keep away from those people. Those aren't that's, nice people. That's the meme, right? It's the, yeah. the litmus is that uh, you regard this image with uh, a respect or disgust. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Hmm. But honestly, the, just to kind of, you know, wax rhapsodic about palm Please. art, there, there's something primal about all of that. It's you, you look at that art and, you know, people will, will, you know, riz you a little bit or not riz, raz you a little bit about, you know, why are you looking at half naked dudes? But there is something very primal and very it just it awakens something in your soul mm-hmm. seeing that yeah. you're like that is a man that mm-hmm. that is masculinity yeah and yeah. again it's one of those things i either you get it or you don't and if you don't don't talk to me <laughs> yeah yeah like have you ever aspired to an ideal then you get it if you haven't mm-hmm. you won't like i don't like you know there's a you know maybe i don't want to be you know, I'll be polite with people who don't kind of aspire to those things, but like, I'm not going to break bread with them. You know, they're not going to be in my inner circle. I won't confide in them, but yeah. 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 Uh, Have you ever dreamed of being the world's strongest man? Have you ever dreamed of like slaying your enemies or if not, like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Why do you think I got in a bench press? You know, (laughs) like nobody does, nobody does max on bench press because like, you know, they're, they're, uh, without being like somewhat okay with kind of like breaking your face open. Yeah. <laughs> like if it comes yeah. to that, you know, like you're going to be like, oh, maybe I can hit 300 today, you know, mm-hmm. which my max is 270. I'm getting, 
I, last time I, I checked. Dude. <laughs> You're doing great. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Well, guys, once again, uh, thank you to, to John McGowan for coming on the show. This has been a, a fantastic conversation. I would love to have you back on again at some point. Um, sure. Whether you've got another project or if there's just a topic you want to discuss, uh, I feel like there's there's a lot that, that you and I could discuss here on the show. So anytime you want to come back on, just let me know. Sure. Uh, yeah. Would it be all right if I plugged some of my stuff? Yeah, go for it. Uh, okay. Well, I am on... Uh, 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 X.com, formerly known as Twitter, at uh, at McGowan John N. Um, and I also started a Substack with uh, the Crown's Corner at JohnNMcGowan.substack.com. And a lot of that is going to be, so the the Substack is going to be kind of like maybe longer form content on kind of like how to run the game or just kind of my thoughts on the game community in general. Um, but it was also going to be sort of a repository for fiction uh, because I do like to write a little bit of fiction and I'm going to serialize kind of my attempts uh, at pulp stories. So awesome. Cool. Well, you guys will find links to, uh, John's Substack. You'll also find the link to the Amazon page once uh, that's available in the pinned comment if you were watching this after the fact. Um, once again, want to remind everyone, I, again, I don't want to end on a downer, but this is a very important uh, very important thing that we all uh, you know, come together around someone who's been such a pillar of role-playing, especially you know, working with some of the, the greats in, in role-playing. Please Show your love and support if you are able to James Shields and his family. Uh, the link to the GoFundMe is back in chat. It'll be pinned in the pinned comment. And as long as this campaign is active, um, all super chat money and uh, any proceeds that I receive from my role-playing game, um, Oh Night Divine, once that becomes available on Drive-Thru RPG, proceeds that I receive from that for the duration of this campaign, will go towards Ben Shields Memorial. So, uh, again, support them directly, or you can, you know, give, give the money to me, and I, I promise you it will go to them. But definitely support this campaign. Definitely um, give a hand up to a, a brother who who could use your support, and definitely keep the Shields family in your prayers. Um, next week, I am going to be taking a long look at multiple different pieces of media all surrounding the MCDM RPG. Uh, I will be looking at their uh, backer kit campaign that just recently wrapped up. Uh, we'll be watching and commenting on some of their development diary videos that they do on the MCDM YouTube channel. And uh, myself and whoever joins me on the panel... Basically, we're just going to be going through why this game is not worth your time, energy, or money. Because oh. it really isn't, in my opinion. Uh, but we will discuss that in depth next week. Until then, uh, John, thank you once again for coming on. And whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. And I will see you guys next time. Happy Good night, everybody.